Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode number 85 of the Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life. Well, welcome to the show, guys. I uh, hope you're having a great week as always. Super excited to be back today. Thanks for joining us if you're tuning in. Say hi, let us know where you're from. And let me introduce uh, our guest. So today's guest is uh, Keita Makwana. He is a renowned international speaker, a TEDx speaker, serial entrepreneur and mentor who started, scaled and sold multiple businesses over the last seven years, which we love in response to the emerging skills gap between education to employment and enterprise. Keaton's launched the Enterprise Lab, which evolved into a disruptive agency supporting mindset, attitude, and behavior, now serving over 100,000 people a year across the world. Keaton's an advisor to the British Prime Minister on youth policy and has a seat in the European Parliament and Commission working on the 2020 strategy for enterprise and employment. Keaton, great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Nathan, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And uh, I bet New York was full of colour with that with that gay pride uh, event going on. That must have been absolutely colourful. It was very colourful. <laughs> that is one way to describe it. There was the uh, the main parade was yesterday. It kicks off at midday, and I think from what I hear, it usually goes to about six pm. Mm. And yesterday, the last float came in at ten thirty pm. I think something like that. So it's just yeah. like this huge, huge event. I think it's the one of the biggest pride events. Pretty cool it's, to be a part it's, of. It's, yeah, no, it's exactly what I was going to say. It's amazing that you can have these uh, life experiences that sometimes maybe are only once in a lifetime experiences as well. So Absolutely. it's amazing you can have it be there. But thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, you're really welcome. Glad we could uh, do this. So you're in the UK London. now, right? Yeah, I'm in London at the moment. That's right, yeah. Cool. So you're from London? Yes, born and bred. Born and bred in London, uh, but do a lot of work these days around the world. So I'm, I'm usually in a different time zone most of the time. Yeah. But you're one of the few people like that I watch you on Facebook, one of the few people that keeps up with me in terms of <laughs> travel. I'm like, wow, he's in Dubai and now he's like somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah itchy feet. That's what it is. It's itchy feet. Totally. <laughs> I think that's the uh, the curse of being an entrepreneur. Absolutely. Um, feet. So tell us a bit about uh, you. Tell us about your journey into entrepreneurship. You obviously have this massive passion for business and now kind of at a really high level advising government. So how did you find yourself into business? Was it something you chose to do? No, absolutely not. Sometimes it could be a blessing or it could be a curse. Who knows? But um, I never set out to be an entrepreneur or have a business. I think, you know, ever since I was young, I've always wanted to be in a high, you know, a high position within a corporation, kind of have that stable life, everything kind of set out. But obviously, plan, best laid plans can uh, be uh, often sort of taken away from you. My background's in IT, electronics and healthcare. I didn't finish university primarily because I just felt I didn't fit in. That's not something else that I was inspired by. It's just simply, uh, I thought, how can people who have never experienced something teach you about something? And I wanted to become a car designer. My professor hadn't ever designed a car and I just thought it was a complete waste of time. So uh, I kind of, and and I'm more of a practical person. And as you'll get to learn more about me, I'm not someone that normally plays by the rules. I like to create my own. One of the resounding messages that I have in all of my life coming up into entrepreneurship and today is that there is always going to be more than one answer to any one question. And I'm living proof to that. So um, a background in IT, electronics and healthcare, I've done some great I've had some great experiences in different companies, primarily in areas, I've been in areas and environments that I have zero knowledge about or zero experience. I shouldn't be there theoretically or on paper. You know, you need, you need degrees in this or experience in that. And I haven't had any of these kind of things. 
I managed to get myself into that kind of dream job, very high positioned uh, within a dialysis company, a global product management role. I was leading on to working on putting dialysis rooms into A380 Airbuses. I was just just introduced clinical trials for uh, the smallest dialysis machine, which we'd introduced from Canada to the UK, uh, at which point I was one of millions of people that were a victim to the economic crash. I was become a high risk of redundancy, which kind of turned my world a little bit upside down at that stage. Just like anyone else, um, you know, I have responsibilities. I have a house. I have my children very young. My wife wasn't working. And I was what you'd call the sole breadwinner at that time, moment in time. So for me, it was a bit of a shock because it was, you know, I've had this comfortable life. I've had a steady progression in my career. All of a sudden, my dreams are taken away from me. What am I going to do? How am I going to pay the bills? Will my kids ever love me because they're not going to get Christmas presents anymore and stuff like that? Um, they're the kind of stupid things that go through your head. And when I stopped thinking about what's happening to me and what's happening around me, I think things started to change. Now, as I say, I have been someone that defies rules. Um, I'm, I'm a rebel to a certain extent, but I'm a rebel with respect. I always believe that there's more than one answer to any one question. If I asked you right now, how many permutations are there to the number nine, you could at least list five or six of them without even thinking. And that's my point. Everyone doesn't have to come at things exactly the same way. And, and I've taken that, that attitude and mentality in all the work that I was doing in my career. I looked at the way uh, a company was doing something. I took the best parts of what they did and kept them. And I changed the areas where I felt that we could do things better. So call me an optimizer or whatever you want to. Normally, people don't see the method in my madness until the results are kind of achieved. But I guess I, I guess when I got to that stage where I had to now think on my feet, what am I going to do? Am I going to join a job queue, wait for the next opportunity to arise? You know, the ratio of 20 to 1, 20 professionals going for one job and now turn into almost 20,000 to 1. You, know, you, you think your chances are really low. My back was against the wall. So I chose to go into self-employment. Ironically, the first client that I took on, Nathan was the very client who was letting me go from my company. So I went back to the very company that said, we have to let you go and said, look, let's see if we can work this out another way. And that was a starting. But then again, you see sometimes your mouth writes checks that your body can't cash. And this is what happened to me. I thought, well, if one company's got this problem, it must be a few others in that industry that have the same issue or challenge. So I started to push out into the network and ask the same questions, not really realizing that all I was doing is pitching myself for business. Within sort of a couple of months, maybe up to about six months, I'd, I had almost seven figures of contract values sitting on the table. I'm like, this is amazing. You know, I don't need to go back and find a job. But then Nathan, the, the other side of it comes that it's the fun part of actually doing the sale. Now I thought, right, someone else has to now do the work. How are we going to deliver all of these promises? Mm -hmm. So again, not really knowing what I'm doing, I kind of just take the next logic step and step back into my network, started to look at people who are perhaps in the same position as I was, uh, reached out to them and said, hey, look, don't sit at home waiting for the next best thing. I've got a couple of gigs here. I'll pay you for it. Come and work with me. And that's when this little tube light switched on in my head. And I thought maybe there's a business here. Um, I'm quite a lazy entrepreneur. What I mean by that is if I can do, if I can get maximum results with minimum effort, I'm a happy man. I'm also Indian, if you don't recognize, which means we are very frugal in our mentality. 
Uh, most people call it cheap, but we're not cheap. We're just frugal. We just like to do spend the least amount and get the most out of it. All right. So, um, so this is where my entrepreneurship career started. Um, it started purely on the fact that I was pitching above my weight, and then I had to solve that problem. I started my first agency, which was an outsourcing agency in the recession. Within the following six months, and so now twelve months into business, we had three hundred self-employed professionals in the network almost 4 million in, in terms of contract values. And life was great until someone came knocking their door and said, uh, we'd like to buy your business. And um, it's my first experience. I didn't know really what to do. So I, I took the offer, moved on. So I guess my experience in, into entrepreneurship really came by accident. Uh, it wasn't mm. It wasn't really meant to be. It wasn't written in the stars or whatever they say. But I have it to say... Like you kind of had the attitude for it. It seems like you, you've always kind of had that rebellious spirit that sort of... A lot of Absolutely. I, I think if there's anything that prepared me for it, it was having that that kind of stand up that, look, I'm going to find my own way of doing things, even if I was in a controlled environment within a career. And don't get me wrong, I made as many major cock-ups in employment as I did, you know, uh, successes. Um, but hey, you know what? I'm doing this in someone else's environment. I'm getting still getting paid. It's better to make those mistakes in those environments so you learn as you go along. And for me, moving from employment to self-employment and then into business, for me, it was very much a situation that I was, all my, my antennas were almost aware of what is coming, how it's coming. And even though I may say to you that I'm oblivious to or unconscious to it, because I didn't really expect to go into business, I was making these moves probably because of the way that I developed myself during my career. So that's how I kind of transitioned. Like, you know, losing a job can be a really catastrophic thing for people you know especially if you are a, a breadwinner it can it can create a lot of stress can impact the relationships starting a business is exactly the same thing my friend uh, it has a lot of mental issues the stress the the burning the candle from both ends the 12 to 18 hours as most people slog but i think you've got to also understand that when you're running a business, yes, you are ultimately responsible. You're not responsible for doing the job. You're responsible for creating a system. And this is this is what I had to quickly learn. I'm, I'm learning to myself. And I guess I, I kept asking that silly question. How can I earn money without doing the work? And I kept kept asking that. And I think one day something just came and smacked me in my head and said, duh, you've got to build a system. So that's what we did in the first company. You know, the second... The system, you, before you go on, because I want to dive into that stuff. Yeah. I'm curious it's about one thing you said about dropping out of university because you yeah. seem like a pretty confident guy, but did that affect your confidence in any way, like as you went through your career? Dude, I'm Indian, right? Do you know what? As soon right. as I, I, I'm first generation in my family as well, so my parents came over. Yeah, my parents migrated uh, to the UK. They were, you know, I was born their first kind of generation. They follow the trend. Every Indian's supposed to become an astronaut, physicist, a doctor or something. And, you know, here's me going in, you know, wanting to become an engineer, which is my parents' dreams, and then coming home one day and saying, guess what, mom and dad, I don't want to do university anymore. Um, the confidence wasn't knocked from me leaving. The confidence was knocked when I had to, I had to make that transition where, again, you know, where I had to say, okay, fine, I'm not going to be covered by a blanket or a wrapped in cotton wool of academia anymore. You know, there's a lot of people that I see that wrap themselves in this and they just continue studying because of the fear of going into the market and doing things. I got to a stage where I had to do something because of one thing, and that was myself. I went out there and I made some claims to 
my nearest and dearest by saying that, you know, I'm going to be successful. I'll do whatever I can. And more likely, I'll earn most both what my parents combined would earn. And when you have that kind of challenge bestowed upon yourself, you've got to come and deliver. So, you know, for me, confidence wasn't the issue. It was for a little while, it was a bit of disbelief. You know, I'm like, am I really doing this? And then when I started work, I didn't just walk into a dream job. It wasn't a, a Hollywood movie that I just happened to walking down the street and someone goes, I've been looking for you all my life. I flipped burgers at McDonald's. I, I stuck, uh, stacked shelves in, in supermarkets. I built my, my experience up the right way, you know, communicating, engaging with people, connecting, doing basic tasks, learning management to then go up into, uh, into the IT industry. My first job primarily was just selling RJ45 cables where I had a stack of leads, which I had to phone. But after the fifth call, I was so tired of the monogamy of what they wanted me to do. I just started to have a conversation. And instead of selling a six pound cable, I ended up selling a three and a half thousand pound Mac. And they got that's gold experience. Like in terms of entrepreneurship, like having a phone sales job is golden. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think I think you've got to do that. I think entrepreneurship is it's not about business. It's not about a way of life. It's not just about a way of thinking. It's it's how enterprising are you? How can you approach something in a way which is gonna deliver you a result? One of my biggest gripes with the industry today, personal development, coaching, business advisory, is that people are trying to offload their systems on others. They're saying, this is my system from zero to seven figures in three months or whatever it is. Woo-hoo. Now, yeah, it might work for you. You may have got the right thing, been at the right place at the right time and achieved the right thing. But for me, I think there is there is a little bit of methodology in everyone's madness and systems. Mm. And it's more important that you understand how does that work for you? How do you create your system within a system? And that's, I guess, that's what it was for me. Confidence of moving from education into, into the world of work was, I'm going to find a rhythm that works for me because, heck, I can't dance to everyone else's rhythm. That's what it was. And I think confidence really, uh, the other side of it was I was just ignorant. I, I, I just was a, one, a single track guy. I didn't even know that I was that stubborn or, or, or single tracked in that sense. But I guess ignorance is bliss, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is close to home for me. I was a pilot. So when I left, I sort of gave up on high school. You know, I finished high school, but I sort of was not that interested. So I, I didn't pass any, you know, anything in high school. And then went straight into flying school. So I didn't go to university. Awesome. And, but I think it was the same thing. It was a mixture of confidence, arrogance, ignorance, you know, and just diving in and doing it. I think for the longest time, there was sort of a, a little bit of guilt for a little bit of shame around that level of education. And yeah. I'm, you know, I'm in a similar place to you now where I'm like, I have a completely different type of intelligence, you know, around business and seeing opportunities and being creative and coaching people. But it took a little bit to get over that because there's a huge societal expectation around education. Yes. Uh, I'm lucky I didn't really work in the corporate world, but I'm assuming it's even tougher to go through the corporate world, like you say, without that kind of education. Yeah. Uh, well, it is. I mean, I, I landed... You know, out of out of the IT industry, and I left the IT industry in 1999. I was working for Apple. I, I had an amazingly great salary. I was doing supply chain for the launch of the iMac. Um, it was just a sensational time. But someone told me about Y2K and the millennium bug and that everything is going to die in the IT industry in 2000. So I decided to walk in and hand my resignation. You know, I was earning thirty-five to 40,000 pounds a year at that time, which was a lot of money. I mean, it's equivalent to about 60, 65,000. You could live happily. And I, I, I didn't even have any overheads at that time. 
my dad was like, my father was just like, what the hell's wrong with you? Who walks in and just hands their resignation because of what a piece of paper says? But that's how single tracked and I was. Moved into electronics, had no clue, but over six years designed a system that's fitted into the NHS. And a lot of people in the UK use a touchscreen registration system. And that came out of the back of actually being called Cretin Marijuana rather than Ketan Marijuana. So, <laughs> you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is, as I was going through my career, I was also becoming more and more of an eternal optimist. I always see an opportunity in something, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how poor the uh, the prospects are or something. I'm like, I'm saying something is better than nothing. And I've, I've, I guess I've held on to that bit of the value. As I have that much about, you know, there's more than one answer to any one question. I've also got this thing of no matter how hard it is or how bad it looks, there is something there. And combine those things together. When you go into an environment like a corporate environment, everyone else around you are very well educated. They've got the degrees. They've got all the training. And I walk in like someone who's just walked out of a bar kind of thing, has absolutely zero courtesy or mannerisms or you know ethics to how, how things work, turn things upside down, start rattling them. People are going to feel disrupted. Uh, people are going to feel a little bit anxiety. They're going to feel a little bit of discomfort. And you know what? I think that's good. I mean, today I'm labeled a disruptor and there are other stories to why I'm labeled that. But I think from a very young part of my career, I've always, I'm not going to say that I took no for an answer. I just, I respected, I respected everything. I just knew that I've got to find my own way to do something. And I think that epitomizes entrepreneurship. Nathan, you, you, you've had your thing, you know, you chose to do particular things. You moved into where you were, but there was a point where you then decided this is now not what I want. I want somewhere else. Now it's not about what you dream about having. It's what you do to get to where you want to be, which is the most important thing. So I think, you know, without those years in that career, accidentally fumbling my way through electronics, healthcare, IT places. I mean, I mean, I've helped deliver 300 babies. I've done lots of resistance techniques on epidural techniques on mothers to be. You know, I've I've worked on. You know, I've been in the room when brain surgery and heart surgery is going on. I've worked on earlier ambulation for post-operative pain therapy. These are things that you know. If you asked me to spell stethoscope about 12 years ago, I'd struggle to. Mm-hmm. And here I am, gone through a fast route career where I was working on bringing dialysis machines into A3A Airbuses. Who does that? You know, it's so, so it's kind of a situation of, for me, you know, whatever you're doing in life, it's don't look at your destination, look at what you're doing there and then, you know, understand, is this what you want to be? Is this the things that you really wanted to do? And if it's not, don't say, how am I going to get to the next stage? Ask yourself, what have you done to change whatever it is that you uh, you want to do that if you are following a process which someone else has told you could be the wrong thing that permutation to nine might be eight plus one actually you might need it to do 11 minus two so for me it's always about coming back and building that system that works for you it's awesome so if someone's getting into business or if they've just got into business like what do you advise them now like what do you tell people where should they start where, they should, where should they be looking Buckle up. That's the first thing I say to people. It is. It's the truth. I mean, starting a business is both exciting and terrifying. You know, exciting in the fact that you're you're going into this world of freedom and to do the things that you love, etc. But terrifying to the fact that you are now your own boss. You know, you're accountable for everything you're going to do. You know, no boss is going to wake you up in the morning. No boss is going to sit there and say you're not hitting your target. You can be as harsh or as soft as you want on yourself 
and no one cares in the world. My first bit of advice is, is keep it real. You know, be honest with yourself. Don't forget the world. And remember, when you go into business, you go in first as a self-employed professional. You are just you and the world. And usually what you're doing is you're, you're trying to fill that void of a salary with, with some form of business to pay yourself. So you always go in things with self-employment. The second bit of advice is get yourself out of your own way as quickly as possible. And what I mean by that is if you design something which actually customers want, so a product or service, and people are paying you for it, that's amazing. It doesn't matter if they're not paying you as much as you want them to. The fact is that they are buying something, which means that you have something that people want. The next thing you have to understand here is what is that process? What is the process that you've created And that process of sales or marketing or whatever it is now needs to be systemized so someone else can come in and start doing these things. Because one of the third, because the third part for me, and this was, this is something I fell into in my third venture. I mean, you think about this. I I created two, two businesses, sold them. I got a little bit cocky. I lost, I failed in my third venture quite miserably to the tune of around 250,000 pounds cost to me personally. But I started to fall into this trap that I had to be everything for everyone all the time. I'm not a marketer. I'm not a digital marketer. I tried to do all these things. I thought, you know, I have to become this because the world told me that if you're not online and you're not omnipresent and you're not doing this. And I'm like, dude, but I don't understand. I've been making money all the time. I fell into the same trap that I tell people not to. You know, there's always more than one answer to any one question. Just because everyone else does this doesn't mean you have to. Guess who fell into that trap? I did. And for me, that advice is that be real to yourself. Be honest to yourself. If there's something that you can't do, don't pretend to do it. Okay? Go and ask for help. Whatever system that you design, if you've got a customer, even if it's just one customer that's bought from you, that's amazing. You've now got a process. You need to systemize that. You need to create a system, which means that you can then start to eventually feed someone else to spin that wheel. And the third thing is stop trying to be everything to everyone because you don't have to be every hat in the business. You have to stay in your genius. Most people come into a business with technical ability, whether they're a plumber, a hairdresser, a doctor, you know, even coaches. They're not marketers. They are specialized, they specialize in coaching people. So you normally come into business with a technical ability, not a commercial or business ability. There are very few people that actually are the commercials and not the technicals. So what you've got to understand here is that your genius is in being technical. You need to start developing systems and engaging other people in to do the other side of things. So, um, so they're the three things that I would say to anyone that's starting up right now. It's... I don't want to scare you and I don't want to inspire you at the same mm. time because I think it's a false economy. I've got to tell you right now that if you are not honest with yourself, you are not kidding anyone else. You are going to lose. You're going to lose badly and then the whole blame came. It wasn't my time. It wasn't the right market. Wrong people, wrong advice. It's not. It was your fault in the first place. You were just never honest with yourself. So Dave Letterman used to say when new comedians would come to him and say, you know, should I be in comedy? Should I... Stay in it, shouldn't it? And he go, no, don't do it. Stay away. Stay at your job. Don't do it. And he said, because I knew the ones that were really serious would do it yes. anyway. Yeah, so- exactly. I love that. I love what you said there. If if you are questioning, should I be an entrepreneur? Or should I be in business? Don't do it. You know, it's something that naturally. Now, look, I didn't have the luxury of making the choice. It was 
almost thrown upon me. Whether, as I said at the beginning of this call, whether it was a blessing or a curse, who knows? Some people look at it and say, well, you're blessed. You had no other thing. You had to look that way. Others say it's a curse, you know, because now I, don't, I look back and I think to myself, I'm no longer employable to a certain extent. But is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, at the same time, I still take a lot of my learning, a lot of the things that I forced upon myself to actually learn within a career, the mistakes that I made in someone else's company before I, I started my own. And even then, Nathan, I still made mistakes, a quarter of a million pound mistake. So, so at the end of the day, you know, you've got to be honest to yourself. Otherwise, things just won't happen. Yeah, there's a lot of great tips as well, those three. I loved it. Um, and there's a lot of nuance in there as well. The first one, like being being really honest with yourself. How do you, you know, if I, again, like give it, make it a real example, like for me, I, I noticed I was using a couple of false assumptions with something recently, like in my business, I was going, oh, well, I'm doing this. So this feeds into this part of the business. And then if I looked at it, I was like, actually, that's not true. And second of all, it's not working. Like, it sounds easy, right? Be honest with yourself. But to me, it's like quite a process. And I think you said it yourself, you can kind of end up falling into traps that you don't notice until you look yes. backwards. So how do you do that? How do you ensure that you're always being honest? You have a process of reflection. Well, you you do have to. I never did. I thought to myself, being honest to yourself is just literally looking at yourself in the mirror every morning and and saying, are you doing the things you're supposed to be doing? But the thing is, you can even lie to yourself in the mirror. Right? You, yeah. can, you can talk yourself into believing that you're doing everything right. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, it's one of the things that we've had in comments before. We're also great at giving advice, but never, we're a nation, a world of giving advice, but it comes pretty bad when we have to take it ourselves to, okay. to that extent. So I think, look, the saying goes that you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs, right? So be prepared for some eggs to be broken. You, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about whatever you put into your business, be prepared to lose it. You know, you've got to afford to lose it. Whether you're gambling, running a business, whatever you're doing, you know, whether it's the time, you've got to know that you're, you can afford to lose this thing. If you're doing this in spite of someone, if you're doing this as because you believe you're proving someone else wrong, it's the wrong motivation. For me, to identify how you become truth to yourself, you're going to have to fall into the ditch to understand what that ditch does to you. Only you can recognize that within yourself that you fell into a trap and you've done things that you weren't supposed to do because you did things you weren't supposed to do. So it's almost like kind of saying to yourself, no matter how many mentors you have and how many people help you with this uh, avoidance, I'm the kind of person that will almost push you into the ditch so you can at least know what the ditch feels like because the ditch feels very different for me as it would for you. You know, for some people, it's the be all and end all. It's the catastrophe of life. For others, it's like, eh, okay, I'm going to get up basically. So I think the first thing you've got to do is to understand how to be honest to yourself is be able to get yourself into those positions where you feel that you have made a mistake or you have fallen into a trap because that's the only way you're going to work yourself out of it. You're not going to know how to work yourself out of it otherwise. The second thing is to know and realize when it's a trap, when it's a mistake, or when it's an error of your judgment. Now, at the end of the day, you can only become honest with yourself after that you've you've done those types of activities. So, so you know, I I don't know any entrepreneur or any business owner who hasn't had a bump in the road, who hasn't had a major catastrophe happen to them, who haven't fallen into a trap, who have actually haven't fallen out of a trap who have been dishonest with themselves, who who have then been honest with themselves. So it's a myriad of emotions. It's Mm -hmm. a myriad of experiences that you're going to have to go through. And as I say, there is no 
even if I have a system to identify those traps, I think it's uh, it does your viewer, your listeners, your your viewers, and disservice saying this is the system that you're going to look for. I've got to be honest with you. I don't know the answer for each and every one of you, but I do know that when you do fall into that, you're going to be able to. These words will resound to you and say, "I know it. That's exactly what he was talking about." And that's the most important part here: recognizing it. Um, the third part of that, uh, the answer to that question is ask for help. Never ever shy away. You're you're not the only entrepreneur in the world. I'm not the only entrepreneur in the world. There's gazillions of us out there. And believe me, 99.9% reoccurring have actually experienced one level of trap that you have. And it's almost, I'm not saying you're going into an AA meeting and admitting to some addiction or something like this, but it does... Feels that way sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur and I've, uh, I've been... <laughs> I have not been sober for this very long, but yeah. my point being is when you open up um, and you find others that perhaps have had similar experiences, it's almost like the rocks are starting to lift themselves off your shoulder. You almost feel like compelled to now tell more or, or express how you felt or maybe even start to give someone else advice, you know, as they say. And I think sometimes our best remedy is giving other people's advice and then actually hearing back what we've been mm. talking about. 99% of the time, the things we're telling people aren't the things that we do ourselves. So, so there are there are certain things there that I would kind of say to anyone out there that's, uh, you know, thinking about business, has started a business, feels like they're in a rut, think they're the only people in the world that are suffering from this uh, experience. Uh, guess what? There is probably another six billion of us that are experiencing the same thing. Get out there, shout, get it out of your system, move on. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's interesting what you say, and I, I totally agree with, you have to, you can take all the advice in the world, but you kind of have to make the mistakes yourself and try and minimize the impact, I suppose. Because yeah. from, from my experience, it's like as a kid, you could say, don't touch the hot stove 10 times to me. And it's like, uh, I have to touch the hot stove. And it's like, okay, cool. Now I get it. Now I have a reference point of why not to touch the hot stove. And, you know, I ran out of uh, money pretty early on in my business. Yeah. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I had a job since I was 18. And so I'd had a paycheck since I was 18. And oh, never, no. never not had a payment in 15 years. Yeah. And so I just didn't really have a concept that money could dry up. Didn't really have just that. That just was not a reality for me. And so running out of money, it was like, oh fuck, okay, uh, this is serious. Like you do have to kind of keep this machine going if you want to eat. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and, and and don't get me wrong. You, do you know what? You bring a really important point here, especially for those who perhaps aren't pushed into this, like myself. My back was against the wall. I. I have no choice, you know, I have to feed my family. So I started with necessity, not desire, you know, and I think that hunger has always stayed within me, not that, you know, uh, that I, I, you know, today I have, I, I have an international company. We do a lot of work. We make a lot of money. We have a lot of mouths to feed, you know, within the business. We have a lot of re uh, responsibility in that particular way. But I still, uh, I still treat my work as if, you know, tomorrow it's all going to, you know, it's not, it's not going to be there. You can't bring complacency in. You know, as you become the CEO of a company, as you become the leader of that business, you've got to harvest. You've got to harness and harvest your energy to to make sure you're steering the ship the right way all the time. And sometimes it is a situation where you are blind uh, because you're so used to having certain things. I I have companies that we work with that are 25, 30 years old. They've enjoyed 25 to 30 years of 
order taking, you know, not even order making. You know, they've naturally got the business, money's coming in all the time. They've become fat and lazy. And now all of a sudden they're turning the market and they're like, we're losing revenue. We're, we don't know how to turn around. We can't turn around. We, you know, we're too fat to turn around. We're too lazy to turn around. And it's kind of like now they want that six week beach body answer, you know, the instant give me getting me out of jail kind of thing. And that doesn't work. You can't turn around 25 years of malpractice or non-business practice in six weeks. And um, it's the same thing in, in, in the early stages of your business as well. I think you have to feel the vibration of every activity that you undertake. And don't fear what's happening next if money dries out. Actually, as I say, entrepreneurs should be eternal optimists. Just because the money's run out, guess what? Actually, you can now create your own way of creating money, or you can actually dictate where your money's going to come from now, or you can start to determine that actually maybe the product that I was selling isn't the right thing. I need to, I need to change something now. So every negative thing that happens to you in your life, even in business and in life, is an opportunity wrapped in disguise. It's like telling you, stop playing now. You've grown up and you need to move on. I mean, you don't wear the same pants that you wore when you were 12, right, Nathan? Hopefully you're not wearing the same pants that you wore when you were 12 years old. <laughs> my point is, if you, you know, at the end of the day, things will change. You, your business will grow, you will grow, you will outgrow certain things. And the last thing is, you know, I, I asked you this back. When you came up with that thing after, you know, so many years of getting a paycheck and all of a sudden there was no more money, yes, it's a slight shock to the system, but you, you overcome that. What was the feeling like when you overcame that that challenge where you turned it around from something that was threatening your livelihood to actually something that is now working because you you know you'd created a response to it? How did that make you feel? Well, it's a battle scar, isn't it? And I think you know at the time I felt like a failure. It was super embarrassing. I didn't want to admit it to anyone. I don't think I did. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of embarrassing to talk about it now. Yeah. But like as I I started to recall all of the autobiographies I've read, like all of the entrepreneurs. And the first thing they tell you is how many failures they've had. You know, you can see a thousand memes on Instagram about all of the famous entrepreneurs that, are, that went bankrupt and when they went yeah. bankrupt. Yeah. I was like, man, I, I think I've joined the ranks of the infamous, you know. I think okay. I've got my first battle scar and realizing, wow, that you know, they talk about going bankrupt like it was nothing, but it's a horrendous experience. I didn't even go bankrupt, but just running out of money, like what a horrendous experience and, and how embarrassing. And so it kind of, it just starts sharpening the blade. And if you can come back from each of these things, it's this feeling of like, okay, now I'm an entrepreneur. I've been on the field. I got a couple of scars. You always can. You see, you always can. This is the thing. Most people think it's a bit like um, straighten up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you know, for the first 20 minutes or two weeks, it's the world's end. You know, nothing, nothing tastes the same Colors don't look the same. You know, you're never going to be able to live again. And then two weeks later, you're in the bar and you've picked up your next relationship. It's the same thing here. I think we go through this little period where the world ends for us. Now, yes, celebrating your failures to a certain extent is important. But it's actually the pride that people take in noting their failures because it's what they've learned from it. It's how and how they themselves have overcome that failure. I don't think there's any one person that can describe how they overcome their failure so so specifically, so you know, so accurately. They're always going to omit certain details purely because there are so many different things going on at the same time. Um, but you know, it's it's that sense of 
uh, accomplishment, achievement, and almost at that aspiration that, do you know what? I can go and fight another day. I can go and fight even a, a bigger fight. You, you said yourself, it sharpens the, the knife in that respect, which means that you're now much, much more stronger, you know? So within itself, they amass the whole thing of learn from your failures, but it's not just learn from your failures, not just learn what made you get there, uh, into that failure because sometimes failure is bestowed upon us it's it's inevitable we have no sometimes we are born into it there's no chance of us avoiding it it's it's learning about what you did to maneuver it and how you're going to maneuver moving forward so you know you don't keep going at things the same way after you've overcome that failure you know that you have to now adapt and change um and we do feel a lot more wiser maybe the odd gray hair starts to a prayer appear in our um in our wisp. Well, you're lucky enough to oh, yeah, not yet, but, yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, I have more on my face than I have on my head these days. So that, that's the thing. I, so, I think so, yeah. it was like uh, a couple of things you just sort of taking me back there was one, I was lazy. And so I'd been working for like fifteen years. I kind of half wanted to be in business and half just wanted a break from working. Uh-huh. So I was kind of coasting a little bit. And which is okay. But it took that moment to realize that I wasn't really all in. I wasn't really playing full out. Yeah. And uh, the second part was I was still treating it like security, like a job. I was oh. still trying to get a paycheck and be secure and just kind of trickle along yeah. at a similar level. So it kind yeah. of forced me to get out of that security salary mindset and go, right, what am I doing here? Like, what the fuck am I doing here, to be honest? Like, am I building a business? Like, am I trying to create a machine here? Or am I just trying to create some kind of job for myself? And that, my friend, is honesty. See, you're now asking a very honest question of yourself. Mm. What is it that you're trying to do? And most people, they want the baby without the labor pains. They don't Mm. want anything else. They want, you know, they want a massive international business that makes seven to eight figures and they can buy helicopters and Lamborghinis and do whatever they want to do. Great. Okay. Aspire for those things. But the truth of it is most people only have a lifestyle business that's going to serve their lifestyle. Be honest with yourself. You know, when I started, I had no interest in creating a big business, an international company. I just wanted to pay the bills and make sure that my family had a roof over their head. That was a necessity. We grew then into lifestyle. And then lifestyle got to a stage where I'm like thinking, do I stay here and just be comfortable? Do I really want to push forward and, and do this thing? Every step of the way, Nathan, you've got to ask yourself honest questions. You've got to be honest with yourself. Because if you if you think that answer without asking yourself and really having that conversation with yourself, you're going to lead a life. And you're going to get into that false expectation. And then your expectation is this high, your delivery is here, and the gap in between my hands is what we call failure. So, so you know, we I've had so many of those. I mean, I've had those kind of conversations walking down the road, not even with an earpiece on, and most people look at me and say, this guy's lost his marbles. But you've got to have those conversations. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how do you handle it now? You've been, you know, doing this a, a while now. How do you handle... I don't know if you would call it stress or anxiety or just, you know, a quote from Seth Godin, he says, like, if you're a, a writer, you're going to have to deal with writer's block for the mm. rest of your life and have a strategy yeah. to overcome that because it's not going away. Yeah. And when you're an entrepreneur, you've got to think, how, when's the next customer coming in, yeah. you know, for the rest of your life? That's just the game we end up playing. Yeah. So how do you handle that now? Does it ever go away or do you have strategies? Can you switch off at night? Oh, don't get me wrong. I ask my wife. I can switch off at night. Believe me, I'm one of the first people to start snoring. I, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm tired, I want to go to bed. I want to go to bed. I think I've um, matured in over time. 
to know that actually when I put my, when I assert myself and I, I put the focus down in a short period of time, an intense period of time, I'll deliver the results. You see, back in the day, I used to always think you've got to work hard. You were always taught in school uh, from your parents, work hard, work hard at everything, you know, be, you know, to be the best. Today, it's, I still have the ethos of working hard, but I'm more about working smart. So for me, if I feel like I'm getting writer's block or if I'm getting strategic block or if I feel my sales pitch isn't working, guess what? I stop. I'd rather un stop at that point than go ahead and create a whole trail of devastating performance, which I'm then going to have to reverse. So I'm going to have to work double as hard for half the results. So my days mainly consist today of watching documentaries on Netflix, just being, you know, sometimes dipping into things. I'm watching that, um, you know, the, the documentary Will Smith and the space stuff, you know, about our strange rock, basically, the one strange rock. Uh, and it's just fascinating. It's nothing, it's nothing doing my business. But you know what it does? It pulls me out of this block mindset. And all of a sudden, you, you have this vacuum or void in your head and up pops in the next strategy and you're like, bing, and you go off and I do 20 minutes of exhilarating work. And then I can, you know, I'm exhausted by them because my, my mind, my body, my brain, everything's being focused in for that 20 minutes. It's delivered the core work of what I need to do. So I guess I don't have a routine of meditation or listening to podcasts. I actually switch myself away from it. If I know, and I'm being honest with myself, if I carry on doing this because I said to myself, I have to do it, it's gonna. It's not gonna work, and I'm gonna have to then put for every hour that I put into it, I'm gonna have to put three hours to repair it. So what's the point? I think it's I, I openly, honestly, stop myself and say, right, take a break, divert your attention for a little while, switch off. Whether it's go for a walk, watch some Netflix, go and get a bite to eat, uh, go and have a conversation with my wife. Go, maybe the kids will come home, and I, I just distract yourself. And what your brain does is it unlearns, it unlearns old habit and it then opens up this room for something to learn. And believe me, it will pop in even small amounts. So if, you, if you're if you doing, I, I do my best work in groups of 10 to 20 minutes, and then I need to tie I mean, the amount of times I take naps during the day as well is just crazy these days. So people say to me, how, how does that work? You know, how can you, how can you run a business and still go to sleep three, four, five, ten 10 times in a day? I'm like, I don't plan it. I just follow the mode that I'm, I'm in. And I'm honest with myself. If I'm feeling crap, my work's going to be crap. So so for me, that's that's the way I handle things. And I'm not saying everyone stop off, switch off, and start watching Netflix. But you do need to get yourself out of this rut of thinking that I'm revising for an exam, so I must cram in 16 hours of revision. No one can be productive for 16 hours in a row. No one. No one can actually be productive for more than 30 minutes, according to what experts say. So give yourself a break. You know, you're human. You're not a robot. It's um, kind of like entrepreneurial guilt, I think. It is. It's imposter syndrome. And once I, oh, I'm not good enough, so I've got to apply myself. Or you say, entrepreneurial, I'm not working hard enough, so I don't deserve the rewards that I get. I make better money and better business when I work this way than what I did six years ago where I was hustling, you know. I don't get me wrong. When I hustle, I hustle. So when I'm in the zone, I can go for hours. That's, you know, and writers have the same thing. When in the flow, they just keep going. But there will be a point where they'll get to and say, right, I have to stop because this is not going to, I'm going to undo all the great stuff that I've done. Everyone out there needs to do that. So as a, as a business owner, 
the pressure's always on. You know, before the pressure was, where's the next paycheck going to come from? Now it's a case of, I've got mouths to feed. I am responsible for other people's livelihoods. I've got to make sure that it's not that where the next paycheck's going to come. It's where the next six months of business are going to be drawing into it. So I have different challenges to today than what I had when I first started my own business. And that's that within itself believe me, it's, it's harder to fathom because now you're not just answering for yourself or responsible for yourself, responsible for others as well. So when I feel like I'm, you know, I've got my back against the wall, I don't push back. I just stop. Mm. And I reset. Yeah. And I mean, your, your role is thinking. <laughs> it's not about doing grunt work. So you've got to protect the thinking yeah, machine. Absolutely. Speaking of Netflix, I watched um, Drive to Survive, which is the mm-hmm. Formula One. Yeah. Did you did watch it? I've watched elements of it, but it's on my list. Oh, man. I I, I, I binge watched it over about two or three nights. And same thing. It just kind of sparked off a whole lot of stuff in me because, well, first of all, Ferrari, half a billion dollar budget for Formula One. That was... (laughs) <laughs> blew my mind straight away. But like, right? Trying to understand, you know, it's it's one hundredth of a second in these vehicles. And just watching, you've got a team manager, you've got to select the right drivers, you've got to get an engine, then you've got the on-track stuff and it, one mistake. And then having just the most fascinating thing for me was the debriefs yes. and just listening how they debrief their team. And yeah. some teams just blamed it on luck, which I don't know, that was a bit triggering for me. But yeah, yeah just, just watching um, watching how that whole high-performance world of sports works and, you know, yeah. trying to have this machine all operate in harmony so that it all works perfectly. Fascinating. It is. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. As much as I'm a thinker, I'm also a tinker. If you're going to use the, uh, the analogy of motor cars and racing, as much as I have got to think strategically about the future of the business, I've also got to keep it oiled. I've got to keep it maintained. I've got to make sure that all the cogs are wearing in the right way. So, as you progress in your business, your responsibilities change as well. I'm, you know, and again, it took me a long time to understand that, Nathan. You know, Enterprise Lab is, you know, I launched it in 2011 as a response to uh, the emerging skills gap that young people had going into the industry. Today, we're a business growth agency that procures projects in 26 countries. You know, we have, and we work on business strategy, project management, we do training and development. My job as, you know, I used to always think I've got to be the guy that finds the project. I've got to be the guy that designs the program. I've got to be the one that delivers it. I've got to be on a plane to every other country in the world and city. So, you know, to the fact that in 2017, Nathan, I did 158,000 miles. I was been in, I've been in five continents, 42 cities and did 250 projects. The company made a lot of great money. I almost lost my will to live, basically. <laughs> um, the reason being, because I always put myself front and center in the company. I said, I've got to be the, the nucleus of it. Now, whether that was my narcissistic behavior or it was my ego, I don't know. The point of it is, is I'd grown a, all my businesses myself. I'd always been the, the nucleus of everything. When I, I didn't learn to let go, I had to force myself to let go. And the only way I could do that, Nathan, was by, by actually understanding that my role and remit and responsibility had changed. That, you know, I could still be an effective member of the, the organization, but my effectiveness is in different places. Mm-hmm. I've got now, I've now built a five year pipeline to take the business to 300 million in, in revenue. And I work at, at a very high country level, bringing in big, bigger projects. Why? Because it's not because I'm just the CEO and because of title. It's because that's where I do my best work. But also my day-to-day responsibility is to make sure that all the cogs are wearing 
nicely within the business itself as well. So all of a sudden, I, I give myself permission to step away from the, the aggression of a, a small sale. Every small sale counts in the company. But, you know, as you prolong yourself in your business, you've got to start moving away from what you did, you know, six or eight months ago. And that's the only way that I've kept sane in the company. Otherwise, I think I would have lost my will to live a long time ago. <laughs> that's, that's great advice. Tell me about the work that you're doing with uh, the Prime Minister. Is that it's more around youth issues? So um, I used to be a special advisor. I was primarily, I did some special advising on youth policy with uh, David Cameron before he got sole uh, premiership and then decided to do the referendum. Now, this came um, as a result of what happened in the UK in 2011. We had uh, the, the summer of riots. I saw it one way, others saw it another way. I saw this as young people really lashing out about the lack of opportunities. I wanted to create a platform where I where I challenged the youth of the UK by saying, if I can show you where the opportunities are, are you brave enough to go up and grab them? Um, at the same time, I needed something, uh, a kind of a mechanism to unlock the veils that uh, businesses were putting in front of themselves. You know, in 2010, uh, sorry, two th- between 2010 and 2012, the economy was at such a state that you could have three generations of a family vying for the same job. You know, the son, the father, and the grandfather. And it was an employer's dream because they'll say, look, I can, resor- I can resource high quality people like parents and grandparents who are experienced, pay them a frigid, you know, a smidgen of money, and, and it works in this particular way. But what they were just doing is just crushing things. So I created this event um, called Youth Enterprise Live. I got the prime minister behind it after six months of cajoling and networking and getting to him. Using a letter that he sent, we raised a quarter of a million in sponsorship and funding to put this event together. It impacted 18,500 young people. We gave um, a lot of initiatives started, things like Startup Loans, Startup Britain Tour, O2 Think Big, you know, Be Inspired, a number of different things set up. The other thing is we also got the political movement uh, going quite well for young. We we gave young people a voice. We took the government's voting system out of parliament and put it up into a a public event. And we had politicians sitting next to young people on panels and live live voting going on. So so politicians could see the voice. So for us, you know what? This was just, we were just creating platforms, but we needed people to come in and interact on it. And I think this is what stirred the prime minister. You know, I thought I was going to get arrested for some misdemeanors that I'd done actually in Downing Street. But actually, eventually, he offered me a job, uh, which was as a special advisor, not knowing that that was also going to launch pad my career internationally mm-hmm. as well. I, I went on to do a number of great things uh, with things like the British Council, where I sat on their advisory board. I was on the advisory board for Enterprise Africa, which was about setting up 10 million jobs in Africa within within a decade. I, I sat on the board at profession, for MIT Professional Education. I've created um, and consulted on student or youth-related events in about 12 countries. But it all kind of stemmed from that one kind of project. And look, don't get me wrong, I'm not an events guy. I'm not a marketing guy. This was just something that I, I, I saw, I believed in. And, you know, I guess the tenacity part of me, the tenacious part of me, just I was like a dog with a bone. I just wasn't going to let go. Now, it sounds a bit rags to riches, but, you know, it was a very small, there was no intention for me to try and get into 
into these kind of spaces. All I wanted to do is put something out there and say to the world, look, this is what it, you know, this is what it's come to and this is what it could be. And um, that kind of stuff has really now helped me uh, work with uh, celebrities. Um, I've worked with politicians. I've worked with presidents now. I've worked with princesses and royal and princes and dukes and all these kind of areas. It, but it's, you know, it's part of my career that, that came purely because I, I believed in trying to do this and do this right, really. Awesome. That's such an inspiring story. No, I appreciate it. I mean, it's, it, for me, you know, looking back on it, if someone says we're, you know, we're the biggest pivots in your life, I think one, leaving university, two, getting married, three, having children, and four is um, getting the prime minister to back me. I think they are, by, by far, I mean, I, I don't think I could do a fraction of the work that I do today, Nathan, without that part of my history. Mm. I think people look back on this now, because I am a nobody that sits in a group of somebodies. That's the difference. You know, I could be sitting around a table of very powerful people who are dictating the policies of a country and be casually sitting there playing Candy Crush until they need me. Seriously, I, I kid you not, not me being egotistical because I don't listen to that thing. I see different lines and then I just come and say, okay, this, this is what we're going to do. They go bang, 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 bang. And they're like, how do you think about that? How, do, how does that even fathom in your head? I'm like, I don't know. Just go with me, basically. So, um, you know, we all have this genius within us. Um, again, to the audience that's watching this, you all have one genius. Uh, you know, don't lose it. You know, make the most of it because sometimes it's the only thing that you'll have that that's going to take you to where you want to be, really. Kidding, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? I'm more on Facebook now as social. I used to use it a lot for business, but as you can see, I'm not a digital marketer anymore, so I don't do all these things. So you can find me on Facebook, obviously, uh, you can probably connect through through the link that you've probably put because you probably tagged me in on that. LinkedIn is where I normally hang. Um, can find me again. There's not many bold and beautiful Kate McGuanas there. I'm playing around a little bit with Instagram at the moment, but be gentle on me. If you have anything, you know, in terms of a question, you want a connection, you you, you know, you just want um, you know to get my viewpoint or something. Feel free to connect and ask. I don't, you know, I don't bite in that perspective. We've got a lot of stuff coming up in the in the next six months from a, from a startup to small business world kind of piece, which uh, will be coming launching through EnterpriseLab.co.uk. But for now, if we if you want to connect, connect with me socially, and I'll let you guys know when when we have all those things really. Awesome. Yeah, we'll put all those links in the uh, in the show notes as well. Final question. Uh, we ask this of everybody because, like you said, the rake to riches story is kind of easy to tell. What is your dark side? Do you have a dark side you got to watch out for? Yeah, um, my it's a great question, um, Nathan. And I, I guess you know I, I'm quite comfortable with this side of me. I think for many years I was very uncomfortable about talking about it. In the earlier stages of my business career, um, I was very narcissistic. I was very um, you know, very selfish. I drove co-founders away. You know, I, I've had, I wouldn't say I've had drinking problems, but you know, I've, I've moved to excessive alcohol. Um, I've had, and still probably to this very same day, actually have mood swings when I'm at home. You know, I've never been violent in that sense or anything like that, but I had a lot of toxicity. And I think what I had is this sense for me, Nathan, I'm being honest, it was a sense of entitlement that I'd done this all myself. You know, I'd got to where I have and, you know, the people that were most important to me around me couldn't really see. It's almost like I was now fighting a battle against myself 
to prove to the world who I am. Um, and that scars you. Um, it makes you behave in a way which, you know, it's not productive or count, it's more counterintuitive for you. Um, yeah. And, and the thing with me, the biggest thing is like we talked, we laughed about the AA thing earlier, but you know, you, the first step in addiction, you know, uh, someone that's got an addiction has to do is be able to confess that they have an addiction. And I think, you know, for, for a number of years, I chose not to. Um, try and admit that. I just try to work around it. And the kind of advice I'd give to anyone out there right now is if you have demons like that, don't brush them under the carpet, don't stick them in the closet. They will come back out and they'll bite you harder. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that I would have lost everything in my life, but I was, I'm, you know, for, for every bit of darkness there was, I've had double the light you know i was given i have been given a very accepting and tolerant wife i've been given beautiful children who understand me love me unreservedly and you know they they're proud of what i go away to do all the time and i guess for over time it's allowed me to become more human again you know to, to where i am I, you know, as much as I love the cut and thrust of being in different countries and being on a plane and hop, skipping and jumping today, I'm the entrepreneur who loves to be at home. And, you know, I, I, I quit my offices in London so I could be here. I feel much more grounded. I feel like I can do everything that I need to do in the way that I want to. And that for me is really starting to clear up this, this darkness. Uh, um, so I think we all have. Um, an edge of narcissistic behavior within us. Just don't hide away from it, which is why one of the first things I said to you at the beginning of the show is honesty. Being very transparent and honest with yourself is the greatest virtue and asset that you can have, really. Beautiful. Great answer. Thanks for um, yeah, being vulnerable with us. Appreciate it. Anytime, dude. Anytime. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you're doing great work out there, making a big difference, especially at a high level. Yes. Very cool, very inspiring. Thanks for sharing your story. No, thanks for having me again. And I really hope your sincerely hope that your 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 viewers get value out of the, today's conversation. For sure. Thanks, you then. Thank you guys. Uh thanks for listening or watching on Facebook as always. Uh share this around if you got some value out of it. Uh leave us a comment, give us a like, and uh, I'll be back next week with episode number eighty six of the Nathan Seawood Show. That was The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life.